You're listening to audio from The Village Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or give to our ministry, please visit us at thevillagechurch.net. morning, everyone. I'm Chris Aday. I'm a leader in home groups. My wife and I, um, my wife, Lonsine, and I have been leading for about 10 years, and I also serve in men's Bible study as a table leader. I have the joy of reading the scripture to you this morning from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in this city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hey guys, how y'all doing? Awesome. There's a theological concept uh, called the effectual call of God. Um, That theological concept is this idea uh, that the Lord is wooing us and drawing us to himself oftentimes without us even knowing that it's going on. And so if I think back on my own conversion, if I think back on how I became a Christian, a friend in high school, invited me to go, I started to go into church with him and it was the kitschiest, goofiest thing I had ever been a part of. Church has changed since then, all right? Uh, But like I didn't agree with it. I thought a lot of it was silly. I would even verbalize that, surprise, surprise. Um, And yet I kept wanting to come back. So I'd, I, you know, I would bring up something that was preached or something we sang or something that I thought was dumb or incompatible with rational you know, belief. And, and, and then I would ask if he could pick me up again the next Wednesday and I would go back. And this is, this is what um, C.S. Lewis was talking about when he called the Lord the hound of heaven. That, that sometimes you're being drawn in. You don't even know you're being drawn in. And that's why I love preaching on Sunday morning. Because I'm just joining God in what he's already doing. Because some of you are here today, you're a Christian, you're following Jesus, you love him. In fact, that's most of us. And I think today the Lord's just going to encourage your heart and send you back out for another week of faithful living as best you can by the grace of God where you are. But some of you, gosh, I love this. Some of you are here because out of a moronic compulsion, you've blown your life to bits. Like it just... Felt right, seemed right, you gave up, and there's collateral damage everywhere. Your, your world's on fire, and everybody's like, Merry Christmas, you lost Merry your Christmas. And, and for whatever reason, listen, I'm being straight, for whatever reason, you're here. What? Like you got some crazy Christian neighbor or some coworker, or maybe way back there, you know, like the, when you were a little boy or girl and you were at BBS, something about Jesus landed in there. You hadn't even thought about it, but you knew. Crud. My world's on fire. We should go to church. And here you are. And like now I get to just stand up here and just go, hey, here's the joy. Here's the advent of joy, the coming of joy. Because that's, listen, I was there. 
That was my world. And I, um, you know, a guy started sharing the gospel with me. I started coming to church. I made things so difficult for him. He was giving me books. I'd read them. I'd read the Bible. I'd find things in the Bible to try to stump him with. Anybody been that guy before? Yeah, that was, that was me. It was like, oh, we'll see, how, we'll see how smart you are. Just random passages out of their context. Go explain. This. What about the dinosaurs, man? Uh, I mean, that was me. And he was so gracious and kind. Uh, and then he graduated. He was a great athlete. Uh, I, I, was, I played football with him. And by that, I mean he played and I was on the team. And then... Uh, he went off to school and I had to get a job. It was different back then. Kids actually had to work. And um, so I, I was working this job at Texas City Fabricating. I was cutting rebar and working an industrial sander. It was like 104 out, 2,000% humidity. And I hated it. And so I thought a surefire way to get out of this is to go to camp with the church because my mom's all about that life. And so, hey, can I... I mean, for me, youth camp was sports and girls, man. That's what I'm, sports and girls at youth camp. I was waiting for that Thursday where everybody was crying. I was like, girl, let me pray for you. Give me your number. I'm a, like, that's me. I'm, I, that's, why, that's why I'm a factual call. I don't even know the Lord's doing this, right? I, that's, I feel judged right now, and this should not be that kind of place. And, and so I, I go to youth camp, and the, the, the camp preacher, pastor, he preaches a message out of Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. And here's what that passage says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And I want you to catch this who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the father. Now, the message that night, again, I have no idea who the guy was, but the message was um, he talked about joy and then he did this long kind of historic explanation into the brutality of the cross that the Romans had perfected a brutal, long-suffering way to die. And, and then he started to talk about, like, how can you say, how can the Bible say, if we're going to believe the Bible, how can you say that whom for the joy set before him endured the cross? How can you put joy and death by cross in the same sentence? And then he went on to talk about a greater joy that sits under all things that can transcend any of life's circumstances. And that message that God used to open my heart to belief went into the soil of my heart. And as I've studied the scripture over and over and over again, you see this, that happiness and joy are not the same thing. And that happiness is fragile and fleeting. And if you try to build your life on it, it's going to collapse on itself. And joy ain't like that. Forgive my grammar. Look, let me show you some other ones. This is Acts 5, 40 through 41. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council. What's the word? Rejoicing. Took a beating. Left rejoicing. Why? Look at, look at the text. That they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Rejoicing after a beating because you were publicly dishonored? That's a different, that ain't happiness. There's something else going on there. Or how about this one? Hebrews 10, 34. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Do you hear it? Like there's a kind of joy 
that transcends circumstances. There's a gladness that I can have, come what may. And that if I'll pursue that, if I'll build my life on that, then, then no matter, and listen, I think at, at this point in our 20 years together, we, we've experienced some of this together, right? Like brain cancer comes, that's not happy, but there's joy in that. Like right good discipline comes, that's not happy, I didn't enjoy that, but there's joy there. Seven years of brutally difficult marriage. Wasn't happy, but there was joy there. All, all sorts of issues that happened. Like there's this, there's this strength, this firm foundation that we can put our lives on where we can weather it and not just weather it with a lot of drink or, or pills or kind of disconnecting from reality. Like there's a way you can stand right in the middle of the hardness of life and be this real weird solid that, that it's not white-knuckle discipline. It's not like I was raised to endure. It's not that. There's something else going on. And, and the reason why I want us to look at Luke 2 this morning is normally, anytime we're in Luke 2, I want to highlight the shepherds, and I'll probably do that a little bit at the end. Um, but really, I want us to look at the proclamation because the coming of Jesus is the advent of joy, the coming of joy. And so I want us to look at that together. Let's look back at the text, Luke 2, starting in verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone upon them or around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, behold, I bring you, here's, here's the proclamation, good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So, so what's the good news of great joy? What's the advent of joy? How does Jesus push past happiness and establish a kind of joy that you and I can build our lives on that lets us be strong in the day of trouble? Well, it, the, the word that we have to focus on here is that a Savior has come into the world. And so a basic understanding of Savior is basically someone who saves, delivers, or rescues. That's how it's used in the Bible. That's how it's used in ancient Near East uh, literature. It's how we use it now. A Savior delivers us, helps us, saves us. And the Old Testament is rich with this language about Yahweh, about the creator God of the universe, the three-in-one, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is our Savior, our deliverer, our help. We see this first with force, in the Exodus, where the people of God are enslaved to a tyrannical, violent, oppressive nation, and God shows up on the scene and publicly destroys their gods for all to see there is no God but him. And then that language starts to seep into all their understanding of who God was. And so the Psalms are filled with God being our help, God being our savior. The, the prophets are unrelenting that there is no salvation outside of God. This is how Isaiah is going to say it. This is 43, 11. I, I am the Lord, and besides me, there is no Savior. Now, he's saying that at a, at a moment in history that is almost entirely polytheistic. 
And so he's trying to save his people from the mistake that we're still making today where we like choose some other God to worship in order to try to get what we want rather than to throw ourselves on the creator God and his mercy and grace. And so back then, that looks like, oh man, we're struggling to get pregnant. Let's go to the fertility God. Oh man, our crops are in trouble. Let's go to the God of rain. Oh man, we're really struggling with one of our children. Let's, do, let, let's go to this God. Let's go to that God. And Isaiah's going, they can't bring you salvation. In fact, for all the nonsense of our day that all spiritual paths lead to the same place, we're all on just different side of the mountain. You don't know religion believes that? Like the Buddhists aren't going, yeah, man, just do your Christianity thing. Islam's not going, just do your, we're all meet at the top. That's Western, ridiculous, melding nonsense that no religion embraces in the world. Except maybe, I don't even know if you can call it a religion, just agnosticism. No creed, no form, no frame. So everybody believe what they want. We'll see you at the finish line. I mean, a lot of people wigged out at the finish line. There is salvation that comes, one Savior, and his name is Jesus. And we see that because he's announced a Savior in John chapter 2. We just looked at that. Salvation, or him saving us, is the central theme of Jesus' ministry on earth. We see this in Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Why has Christ come? To save the lost. To be our Savior, right? It's John 3.17, right? That, that Christ has come into the world not to condemn the world, but to save the world from condemnation. Do you hear it? He's the Savior of the world. They, he is confessed as such by those who heard his teaching. This is John 4, 42. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard ourselves and we know that this indeed is the savior of the world. Again, if you're a Christian, you probably had that moment, right? I, I was believing because of a friend pulling, uh, encouraging, praying, showing me. And then there's this moment. It's like, whatever, Jeff, I believe. I'm not tethered to your belief. I got my own. He is the Savior. He's my Savior of the world. We see this proclaimed. Uh, and He's proclaimed a Savior in the early church. This is Acts 5, 31. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. So he is the Savior. So we've got to ask, saved from what? Glad you asked. I would create maybe this category, sin and death. Maybe what would translate better for you in 2022 is darkness, enslavement, brokenness. Let me show you this. This is Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. Let's talk about that. Course of this world. Think uh, like you're just in the stream, being swept down the stream. There's no spine in you. You would be what, what um, Lewis would call men without chest. No courage, no spine, no just whatever culture's going, there you go. Don't want to make anybody upset. Don't want to frustrate anybody. So whatever culture says, I'm just going to head on down. The Bible just said all of us were guilty of that. Right Before you start feeling good about yourself because you got baptized when you were six, you're guilty also. Right? So we're all guilty of this. And then he goes on from there. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. This isn't even the sermon, but some more commentary. I have been pleading with God to wake us up from a post-enlightenment rationalism that pushes the supernatural out of the centrality of reality and has us trying to think our way out of the problems that we're in. I mean, gosh, you have all the information in the universe 
that has made smart people smarter and dumb people dumber, and it has exposed all of us as not, not being able to pull off what we know is right. And I know some of you are like, Chandler, it's Christmas. Great. Absolutely it is. Merry Christmas. And then he goes on from there to say, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Here's Paul's argument. You're like animals. Like, that's what you were like. You were like animals. Like, whenever you wanted to eat, you ate, right? You know who never is full? Your dog. You know who will still just relieve themselves somewhere in your house? A dog will, right? It's only an animal. And I know Bootsy, your dog's different with his little sweater and his weekly chiropractic uh, schedule. But I'm telling you, he's saying, you're like animals. You're never full. You have no respect. Like, you'll just drag your bottom across the carpet. You are an animal. That's what he's saying. You were driven by your appetite. You were driven by your compulsions. You just did whatever you wanted, regardless of the damage to you or to others around you, right? This isn't setting up a pretty picture of what we're like. And then he says, and we're by nature children of wrath. Listen, like the rest of mankind. Again, I'm super grateful you got saved when you were six. This is just as much about you as the guy in here that's struggling with drugs right now. Let's keep going. Look at verse four, favorite three words in the Bible, but (laughs) God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, five, even when we were dead in our trespasses made us love. Okay, here, some eye contact. So earlier I was saying, like some of you gave into a moronic compulsion and you've blown your world up right? It happens. It happens a lot. In fact, let me make you feel better. How many of you in here today have made a moronic, you've given into a moronic compulsion and saw your life kind of go up in flames? Anybody? Oh my gosh, we're a herd of morons. I knew this is my church. These are my people. So if that's you today, just let's show you your company again. Let's go. Let's make some moronic decisions and burn some stuff down. All right, look around. No, no, get your hands up like we're not Baptist. Yeah, look around. So here's what happens. Here's why I'm trying to highlight this sentence. Shame is going to make you pull away from the joy that Christ made available. You're going to start thinking, I screwed this up too bad. I've messed this up. Like, you don't know what I've done. And I'm just saying the Bible's filled with people that have outsend you and received the grace of God. And so here we've got, even when you were dead in your trespasses, Christ died for you, right? It's not when you apologized to your spouse. It's not when you made right with your kids. It's not when you served your time. It's while you were a sinner. Out of the great love, out of the great reservoir of mercy, that he doesn't run out of mercy. He doesn't go into debt, extending to you grace and mercy, He lavishes it upon you. This is the text is what we've been saved from. He makes us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. I'm just going to keep saying it. Christ is for you, friend. Not not just these people in your mind that are morally better than you. Gosh, it's it's the grimy ones he comes for. I mean, I, I don't have enough time to keep doing all these sidebars, but there isn't hardly anybody in the Bible we would hire here. Huh? You know who's giggling? People who know their Bible. We ain't hiring Moses. Dude freaks out and kills people with his hands. Not hiring David. My wife is a beautiful woman. (laughs) Who you want? Paul? Paul ain't passing our background check. He's killed some Christians. 
Who names so you ain't got anybody. And, and somehow the enemy has got to make you believe through shame and guilt that whatever you've done is unrepairable. Listen, I love you. It's a lie, man. The advent of joy has come. One more text, and I'm back to my outline. Don't stress out. We did fine in the nine. <laughs> Colossians 1, 13 through 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, good news of great joy. Now, the reason why so few walk in joy and instead spend their whole lives pursuing happiness is that rather than going to the Savior, they'll go to good, fun, happy things that betray them in time. And there's four primary places that you and I turn to be saved rather than the Savior. And, and so I'm going to fly through them pretty quickly. Uh, the first is the self. Never before in human history have we so turned inside to solve what's wrong. Others, the world, and religion. And those are our idols, and those places are where joy goes to die, and happiness will be there for a moment, and then it'll betray you and leave you empty and maybe destroyed. So let's talk about that. Uh, the first one is the self. So, so one, of the, one of the ways it's progressed since the Enlightenment is this idea that external uh, weights and forces are all negative, and the only true way for me to know who I am is to take the journey inward. And here's how it works. Like, and by the way, if your kid's on TikTok, they're, they're 50 hours a week of drinking this message in. This is every Disney movie I'm about to describe. This is the preeminent God of our age. Take a journey inward. Find your deepest desires. Those deepest desires are now your identity. So that can be my sexual orientation. That can be um, th this kind of other thing that I'm identifying as. This can be, you know, I'm, I'm this kind of, I'm a goth, I'm an athlete. I'm a, you, you just find your identity, whatever that thing is. And now that I've got that, my desire's set. My sexual identity, I'm an athlete, I'm an artist, I'm a whatever, you name it. Now I've got to find people who agree with me. So let me look around. Oh, you agree with that too? Okay, there's, and now because it's about who I am, and not just a desire that may or may not be, need to be curbed. Now, if you question me, you hate me because you're attacking me. You're not attacking an idea. You're not attacking a desire. You're attacking me. And, and then from there, so now here's what you've got. You, you've got, I've, gone, I've taken the journey in. I've got my sexual orientation. I've got, I'm an athlete. I'm a basketball player. I'm a football player. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm grades are my thing, right? You find that identity. You get them. All of those things are, they're fine things. You just start making them, this is who I am, and now let me find people that agree with that, and they won't ever say anything negative about that. Any external moral force is the enemy of what I believe my identity is. And now, because it's not working, and I'm still lonely, and I'm still angry, and I'm still anxious, let me find some vague spirituality and sprinkle it on top. Gosh, it's just, just not working, identifying as this. So let me do some meditation. Let me get into yoga real hard here. Let me, and I'm going to stretch it out, man. I'm telling you, sit in a desk, it blow you, you stretch it out. But it, what ends up happening is you, you go, like, go to religion like it's some sort of ecclesiological buffet and try to like sprinkle it on to your life to fix this weird identity that came from your desires. But this, that's just never going to work. And here's what, let me, because I, I want to be honest today. 
there's something really thrilling about that early on. Like there's something adventurous about that. Right, like I'm gonna untether from tradition, untether from history, under, like set out to a whole new world, like to abandon all of that, to see any moral, external, or any kind of external, like weight or description on what life should be like, what your soul should submit to as, as the enemy. I mean, I'm telling you, this is what happened. This is what happened to Ariel, man. She just wanted to see the human world. You know, my gosh, dad, chill. It's just a fork. Right? I'm telling you, this is, it's everywhere. This is the message. You, your desire, whatever it is, no matter how dangerous it is, no matter what it disrupts, no matter the relationships it destroys, you will never feel fully alive until you do you. I mean, this is flaunted and celebrated. It's historic. Through human history, as far back as we go, it's seen as a vice. Never celebrates. Always been seen as a vice. It's been called selfish. It's been called narcissistic. Only now are we saying, actually, it's the only way forward. There's no way you're sustaining happiness there. Let me explain why, just a little bit. One, you're all on your own there, doc. It's only you. Like, that's not formed in community. Nobody else is speaking. That's just a journey inward. And you have set up a life that if anybody questions or presses anything, then they hate you and they're your enemy. It's a terrible place to worship. Look, I'm guessing. Here's what I'm guessing. I, I know a lot of you in here. I don't certainly know all of you. My guess is if you and I sat down together around a fire pit, nice cup of coffee or other beverages that can't be named in church, and we just, we're just, I'm just learning your life, man. I want to know how you grew up. I, I want to know like, what your wrestles have been. And you, and you do it, man. You're like, you come in with me. Like, you give me the highs, you give me the lows, you give me the doubts, you give me the frustrations, you give me the rage, you give me the betrayals. You, and we sit there. Here's my guess. My guess is I would leave that night and think you were awesome. Like, look, you're here. You, you've made it. Like, I think that alone is like a really big deal, man. Like, you got through childhood, not without scars and splinters, but you made Like, here we are. Oh, my gosh, we made it to this point. I would just have so much respect for you, so much respect for how you've endured. I'd be blown away that you still had some joy in your life and you were still looking forward to some kind of future. And here's what I'm convinced of. I would never think that guy makes a great God. And this decision is to deify yourself. Not only that, can we be honest that my, my deepest kind of, well, that's probably not true. You know, I've been following Christ now for 30 years, so I feel a little bit more stable than this, but certainly back my first decade, maybe in 15 years of following Christ, my desires change. But every three years, I get a whole new set. Anybody else? And then now what am I going to do? Oh my gosh, I've built this whole identity around some desire I had, but my desires have shifted. Or how about this one? Anybody have dueling, competing desires in the deep part of who you are? Any given moment, I could really, really want this and really, really want this, and that ain't happening. Got to pick. Like you, there's no way, there is no way that you're living a life of joy if you go down this path. And then what ends up happening, if it's not the self, it can also very frequently be others. And, and here's, here's what I mean by this. This idol, this others, like, um, what, what ends up happening when we go down this path is, is I become convinced. I mean, there's so many different, we're complex creatures, so many things that go into this, but I become convinced that the right person or people will complete me. 
I'm, I'm convinced of it. And so C.S. Lewis talked about the inner ring. He talked about trying to make our way into the inner ring. And what you're doing when you're trying to get into the inner ring is you're saying, I need these people to validate that I'm filling the blank, a good person, that I'm cool enough, that I'm... Now, here's, let's look at each other. These are junior high ethics that adults continue to live by. Can, can I... I'm just going to touch on some things and we'll just... Thank you. Um, <laughs> if you drive a car you can't afford, live in a house you can't afford, and are in debt because you've chosen to wear name brand clothes so that other people might see you and think you're successful, this is what I'm talking about. You've given too much weight to the other. You've given too much weight to the other. This is middle school ethics, and they are alive and well in the suburbs of Dallas. Now, it can get even worse if it's not just inner circle, but I need my spouse. I need my spouse to fix all that was broken in me. Um, so I have never shrank back from the fact that the first seven years were really brutal for Lauren and I. And every time I say that, new, I can see who the new people are because like, oh my God. She's right here. She knows, she was there. One like she was laying in bed at night going, oh, my little girl dreams have come true in this man. Awful. But let me tell you the weight of it. I thought that Lauren would satisfy deep things in me that I didn't even know were there. And what happens when you put that kind of weight on your spouse is it crushes them and it can never satisfy you. There's never enough sex, never enough money, never enough words of encouragement, never enough partnership, never enough because you're asking them not to be the good, right things God has asked them to be for you, but you're asking them to be God himself. Women make terrible gods and men maybe make worse ones. And so if you're a woman and you've like, uh, you pushed all your chips in on your man, it's a recipe for disaster. Here, here's what I'll tell you. Gosh, my wedding day. Man, First Baptist Longview, I'm up, I'm with my crew. Like, like Lauren had like 32 bridesmaids, so I had to invite like the sophomore class of Hardin-Simmons and, and we're there and, and there's just people everywhere. The doors were, pa-pa! Here comes Lauren down the aisle. Dang, I was happy. That day is a happy day. I hope, right? Like if that one's not happy, then man, maybe we should have thought through. So happy day. But man, our plane didn't land in the destination we were going before both of us were like, well, what was that? That's, that's new. That feels, right? So what happens when I'm like, hey, I need, you to, I need you to heal these things in me that got broken back here. And then you might even do that. Am I being too honest? Like some of you seem shocked that I'm saying these things. It's like, this is what we do here, right? And then from there, your kids, God, those were happy days. The birth of all three of them and just, Wow. I can't believe God is trusting me with these souls. I don't know where my wallet is. And he's giving me people. <laughs> but to ask, and, and I'm telling you, as the pastor of a large church and a well-known evangelical leader, I refuse to try to live vicariously through them or to get them to somehow validate me in your eyes or the eyes of others. They get to be them and, and if you ask your kid to validate you, you will create a kind of distance that's hard to repair in the long run. It's not that it can't be repaired. It's that it's really suffocating. So this is what happens. Like we're, we're going to try to find it in ourselves. We're going to try to find it in others. And you'll be happy in the moment and then it'll betray you and devour you.
And then the third one is the world. I am going to speed up here. When the Bible talks about the world, it's talking about the affairs of the world, which seduce us from God and are obstacles to the cause of Christ. So if I could state it uh, maybe even more simply than that, any philosophy or ideology that stands in contrast to God and his revealed plans is the world. They're ideologies, they're philosophies, there's things we believe that aren't true, that we give ourselves over to that betray us. Like, I'll give you some examples. Um, materialism. That's an ideology. That's a philosophy that you think you can buy happiness or find contentment with stuff. I mean, I don't think any idea has betrayed you more than that. Uh, other ideologies, I think there's a lot of political ideologies that'll snatch your soul. Now, a quick word. I am a child of God whose full allegiance is to the kingdom of God. But he, that God, has placed me in the great nation of Texas in the United States of America. And that means I have responsibilities as a man who serves the kingdom here and now to operate in a way in the political realm that lines up that realm with the kingdom of God. And that's not Christian nationalism. That's not what that is. My allegiance is to Christ and his kingdom. And that oftentimes put me at, puts me at odds all over the place. And if I'm worshiping self or others, I'll have no backbone for that. So I'm not saying that being politically active is wrong. Not being is probably wrong. I'm telling you if your hope about your future kids and grandkids and all of that's not in the kingdom of God, you've made an idol out of something that cannot bring about what you hope it does. These are ideologies. They're wicked things that draw us away from the kingdom and, and try to align us into smaller kingdoms that can't deliver. And the last one, religion. I'm not talking about religion like the church fathers would talk about religion. I'm not talking about religion like my man Augustine would. Or uh, I'm saying the idea of, look, Christian Smith um, called it um, Christian moralistic therapeutic deism. This means I can conform my behavior in such a way that God will bless me. I can live my life in such a way as to get from God what I actually want from God. This is outside in, and it never works. The joy that Jesus brings is he's going to do the work inside that leads to transformation on the outside. So that our goal is to surrender more and more and more to his kingly rule and reign rather than let me show you why I'm worthy. Like isn't the, well, let me show you why I'm worthy the same thing that's jacking us up in all these other categories? Now, because we're complex human beings, we will find ourselves bouncing between all four of those in different seasons of life. Like I, the way I've experienced it as a pastor for the last 20 years is, is that, man, we're, we're like, find our identity. Here is my identity. And then, oh, that didn't really work. So let me ask my spouse to be this kind of thing for me or this friend group to be this kind of thing for me. Well, and then, gosh, that's not going to work. So let me kind of get on this kind of political rant or let me get. And, and all of those things, they will, I'm just telling you, they make you happy for a little bit. Like even kind of ideologies in the world, kind of fighting dirt. Like you ever found a, just a, a meme that's so good that you've got to share it with that person that it, that it jabs at? You could, we're okay, all right? We've shared far worse. Anybody else is like, dang it, that just, I, I'm sending this to Debbie. If your name's Debbie, I'm sorry. I literally snatched that out. Or maybe it's prophetic, I don't know. So like it's this thing, right? It's this thing. Like it makes us happy for a second. Or, or how about this? You ever... Um, gave into a compulsion that, that you thought would make you happy in the moment and almost immediately you felt shame and guilt and self-hate wash over you. Anybody yes. experienced that? We're like, oh my gosh, yes. 
So what ends up happening is we start to bounce between these four, this idol fails, so we come over here and do this idol, then we do this idol, then we add some you know, workout routine over here, and then we start working on this, and then we start over here, and, and then, man, gosh, in the meantime, it's really bothering me, so let me fill this up with Netflix and Instagram. I just can't feel, can't think, can't, I gotta numb this, I gotta stay busy, gotta stay fast. I love you. This is why we hate silence. Hate it. Do we do anything that doesn't have sound going on in the background? And that silence is so terrifying because there you are. Oh gosh, probably not gonna like that. Yeah. So let, let me end this way. He, he says this line where you're looking around, you're like, I don't quite understand what's happening. He, he says, hey, this is, this is good news of great joy to all peoples. Now, in some sense, you and I live in a very privileged moment of human history, right? We can look all over the world and see the gospel continuing to expand. The stuff that's going on in the Middle East right now, the stuff that's going on in Africa and in South America, it's unbelievable. The church is exploding all over the world. It's only Western propaganda that's saying the church of Jesus Christ is dying. And it's a kind of weird new colonialism. We're going we're gonna to lay on you our kind of new moral law and rule about sexuality, about marriage, uh, about you, you name it, like trying to export cancel culture. <laughs> right, what, what is that? But the same thing, that same group saying they hate. And, and so if we look around and we're seeing, man, it just doesn't look like there's a lot of people in church, out of church, actually walking in the kind of joy you're describing. Well, the warning... Um, from Jesus in John 3 is this. This is John 3, 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their works were evil. The offer on the table. Look at me. For all of us, light, joy, depth, redemption, the healing, both horizontal or vertically and horizontally, a long life of patient sanctification to make us more and more and more like our creator and the lover of our soul. That's the offer. You will be the one that says, eh, I mean, that sounds great, but man, the sexual identity of mine, you will be the one that says, man, that sounds great. However, I don't think he kind of knew my spouse when he wrote those verses. You will be the one that says, ah, I mean, great joy, build on a rock, be unwavering regardless of life circumstances. I mean, I hear you. But have you, right? I mean, it's this really weird, like, I love the darkness. I, I just love the darkness. Thank you for the light, Jesus, but I just love the darkness. And then the crazy thing is people get all frustrated with God, like, oh, you're judging everybody. What? Oh, my gosh, what? He showed up to shepherds in the middle of the field at night watch. I love, G I love the book. I'm trying to grow in holiness in every area of my life. And I've been hunting with dudes in the middle of nowhere that love Jesus and are trying to do their best and things can get dicey. 
right? Little jokes can be said. I can tell the hunters are giggling. You know, you're like, ah, you probably, you know, you're like, I didn't laugh though. The Lord's here. He sees that. And, and I can't imagine that these roughneck, blue collar, aren't even allowed to come to synagogue brothers out on the frontier are sitting around singing hymns when that angel breaks through the sky. I understand that great fear, and it might not just be because there's an angel that just popped up in the sky. It's because you might have just been chatting about some unholy things when the Holy One shows up. And what does he say to this group? Hey, I've got good news, man, great joy, a savior for all peoples. You, I'm telling you, I want you to go see, I want you. Like, isn't that a hard reset for us? Like, it's the shepherds that get this. It's the shepherds that get the, the good news of great joy for all peoples. And I, I love you. You can't outrun God. I think it's funny that you're here. Because you don't even know. You're like, well, I guess. And, and here, that's why I'm just joining God in what he's doing. He loves you. That's, I'm, I'm, like, I wrote all this. I didn't know you'd be here. If I touched on something, you're like, oh, that's torn. I didn't know. I'm just reading the book. And so as we prepare for Christmas Eve and on into Christmas morning this week, this is what we're about. I've been saved. I don't have to look inside of me. I find some nasty desires in me and some good desires in me. And I give my good desires to Jesus and I submit the bad ones to the Lord. And it's turned me into the kind of man I'm hoping to continue to grow into. Like I want, I don't know if the Lord will give it to me. I ask him for it. I want to be 80 something years old surrounded by my kids and grandkids and maybe even by then great grandkids and with death just right on the horizon, still deeply in love with my wife, still going, not now, I'm trying to study. Like I'm just, right, I want that. I'm sorry. And the, I'm gonna hear about that from my kids and my wife. So I, I, want, I want to sit there and go, man, for everything I said no to, it was worth it. For everything I thought I lost, I didn't, I gained. I trusted that his word was true. I, I, I was generous like he asked me to be generous. I held tight to the covenant with my wife and children. Like I endured with a group of people for 30, 40. I, I, I'm with you. I, and I want to look at it and marvel at his goodness that was given to me despite me. And then go on in to glory, to the reward that's waiting for me. And there is no human compulsion around self others, the world, or religion that compares to that. And I'm, I'm trying to, God, it's Christmas. It, this is the, it's there. It's just there. You just got to tell you, you just got to pick it up. You just got to grow tired of your self-identification or trying to get other people to validate you or to, uh, to follow this way of the world that you think is going to satisfy you or, or God help you just frenetically burning religious energy without ever fully surrendering to the relationship Jesus wants to have with you. I'm going to pray for us. And we're going to stand and we're going to sing. There are going to be some men and women uh, on that back wall. And they're just here to pray for you. And so maybe, maybe it's you today. Gosh, maybe, maybe you're the moron that blew it all up. But didn't I just show you you're in a giant herd of them? You won't be judged for that. doesn't even matter what it is. Let us pray for you. Let us come alongside of you. Maybe you've never fully said yes to Jesus. You've been bouncing around those four that I listed and you're exhausted and spent. That's a good, beautiful thing to be exhausted and spent. That God lets you get to the end of yourself. Might be the greatest mercy you've ever been shown. But what would it look like for you to, with courage, take a step towards him? So there'll be men and women along the back wall. They're just there to pray for you. After we're dismissed, there are going to be more men and women up here. If the Lord, if the Spirit's pushing on something in your heart, listen, don't leave. 
just let somebody pray. You're not making any kind of weird commitment. We're not asking for your checking account. Just, I, you can even say, I don't even know what to say. It's like, I'm, I'm one of the morons he talked about. And they might ask some clarifying questions. They might say, me too, and hug you. Okay? Let me pray for us. Father, we bless your name for sending Jesus. We marvel, Jesus, for your sacrifice on the cross to save us from ourselves. We praise you. Spirit of the living God, that you're in here moving us, stirring us, reminding us is humbling. Grant us courage. Grant us faith. It's for your beautiful name I pray. Amen.